Welcome to Legacy Church, Amelia Island. We pray that you are blessed by the message that you are about to hear, and we believe that it will help you leave a Christ-glorifying legacy for generations to come. Well, church family, go ahead and put your hands together for the goodness of our God and our King. Yes, yes, yes. Keep giving Him a hand. God is good. We honor Him. Welcome our online family. Thank you for joining in here with us today on a summer day at Legacy Church. Yeah? You guys ready for summer? Anybody hot? Yes. Anybody actually love humidity? Anybody actually love this stuff? And yes? Okay, we've got one. Because you're not from here. She's, she's from the north. All right. Yeah, it is a humid day. Jojo, you like the humidity? Okay, it is a humid day at Legacy Church, and we are loving God in and through it. Amen? Hey, how did the first church gather? Think about that. They were outdoors and in upper rooms and everything else and just dealt with the sweat, right? Somebody's eyebrow fell off. They just put it back where it needed to go with the makeup and just just made it happen. Amen? I miss you guys. You look good. Tell your neighbor you look good. Guys, look good. You're the best looking church I've been to in a while. You look good. Well, today we have this awesome opportunity to I'm not sure if we're ending this series or continuing or not. We're just going to keep following God's voice. It's been a really awkward thing because as we headed, uh, went into Resurrection Sunday, I had to pray and process what the next series is going to look like. And I was like, Lord, what would you like to see next? And, and really clearly in my quiet time, there's an impression on my heart that said, just follow the visitations of Jesus. And I was like, okay, that's interesting because I don't know what that means exactly. And so I just took him at his word, literally. And I just set up a series that every time Jesus visits somebody, that was our next sermon series. And so you can see on the screen, we'll have our timeline where it starts. It started first at the tomb with Mary Magdalene. And now we made it to the second part of the timeline. You go to the second part. And the second part now will be where Stephen is, is concluding and then down to the road to Damascus. But it's been this really unique timeline as a church family. We're just following the visitations of Jesus. You do know before there are preachers and teachers and microphones and stage, people just had the scripture. They just had to follow Jesus or, or before Jesus, follow the, the Christophanies or the, 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 the visions of God or the scripture. And so I want to teach our church to be a healthy discipleship church. If you were stranded on a desert island and had a Bible, you could just follow the visitation of Jesus and everything you need, it'd be fulfilled. Amen. So we're going to do that today. We're going to follow the steps of Jesus, follow the visitations of Jesus. The series may end today or not. We'll find out. We'll see how it goes. But I've entitled the message today, Never Too Late, because God spoke something to me in my quiet time this past weekend. He told me someone in the building today, he told me someone online today, you need to begin to dream again. See, some of us, we've lived so long. We've been in the faith so long. Watch this. We've been disappointed so many times. We don't dream big anymore. We don't pray big anymore. We don't believe God for the bigger things anymore. Now, uh, I'm talking a balance here. I just believe God for stuff. But we, we don't, well, I prayed for that before and it didn't turn out. Well, maybe that wasn't God's timing. Well, I, I prayed for the marriage before and it got worse and not better. But that's not today and that's not right now. I prayed for the child. I prayed for the grandchild. We re-raised them up in the ways of the Lord and we hadn't seen a change. Well, maybe it's not in your time. Maybe it's in God's timing. Well, I prayed for God to do something in my business or in these dreams, these hopes, and these goals, and I'm tired of being disappointed. Well, I've come to tell you today, you can be tired of being disappointed or you can trust that God has a new day for you. And so I want to tell someone here today, and I don't know who you are or why I'm saying this, but I can tell you this, it's never too late and it's time to dream again. It's time to have visions again. 
It's time to be bold in prayer again. It's time to have belief that God is doing something great. And the good work that God started, he will complete it. I even feel this strong that many of you moved here to our area. Many people aren't from here. They they moved here for one way or one reason or another. You moved here and God's going to show you for a different reason than you thought you moved here. He's going to reveal something to you. And I think part of the message today has something to do with that. Will you pray with me? Father, we honor you today. And it is a privilege to be in your house. It is an honor that we get to say, Jesus, we are here. We want to follow your visitation in your footsteps. And we want to leave different. It is that simple. And I don't have the power, Lord. There's nothing in me. Everything's in your word. To allow every man, every woman, every student to leave different, inspired, challenged, changed, renewed, healed, whole. It's a different perspective than they walked in here with today, we pray. In Jesus' name, someone say amen. So we're in this space where we're trying to be really practical and just watch the visitations of Jesus. And, and maybe you've arrived where I have, where I feel like he shows up in some places I assume he would not, and he shows up in places where I, or doesn't show up in places where I assume he would. It's kind of interesting the way he works, but because for me, as I'm looking at our timeline and everything else, I'm like, Jesus doesn't seem to show up in the places I thought he would. And here's, let me give you some examples. I thought Jesus would show up in like, after he rose from the dead, in some places where it would really show um, that he was alive and that the, the kingdom would be advanced by, by his visitations. Like, can you imagine Jesus showed up to the political hub of Rome after he was resurrected from the dead by the Lord God? Can you imagine if he showed up to one of the palaces in Rome and said, hey, how you like me now? Can you imagine if he just showed up there and said, hey, the one who you guys killed is, is now alive and now the gospel is being preached and taught around the known world. But actually, you know where he shows up? To a solitary place called the Garden of Resurrection or the garden where his tomb was empty and, and some people mistook him actually for the gardener. Something about Jesus you should know about him. He, he often shows up in places you don't think he will. For me, I thought he should show up in the, in the halls of academia in Athens. That's where a lot from, from the Greeks, that's where we get a lot of our understanding and education and, and rule and law. It comes from these academic places. And, and I think Jesus should have walked that little area of the unknown gods. You guys remember that? When Paul goes there and he had all the gods and this one for the unknown God, Jesus could have said, hey, that one, that's the real one. And just would have changed time and space by showing up to the halls of academia, what, what the world knew as knowledge and education and information, but he doesn't show up there. Actually, he shows up to an obscure road called the road to Emmaus. Not with any leaders of the world, but some really unknown characters called Cleopas and, and Cleopas's friend. Like, what, what is he doing here? He's not showing up to the place that it wouldn't make sense, but he's showing up to the place that maybe doesn't make sense for most of us. I thought Jesus should show up to the battlefield of Israel and liberate Israel from all the Roman oppression. I mean, that's, that's putting it mildly, Roman oppression. They were savage to the Jews. They, they oppressed them. They hurt them. What you saw them do to Jesus was just a snippet of what they were. And I thought Jesus, maybe show up with the sword and be the political leader they wanted you to be then. Sound familiar? Everybody thinks Jesus is going to be a political leader. 
Why not have a sword and a shield and show up on the battlefield, Jesus, and liberate Jerusalem and give it back to the Jews? But Jesus chooses instead to show up on the Sea of Galilee, cooking some fish and hanging out with a motley crew of disciples who went back to fishing, just like men. Did you notice none of the women went back to fishing? Did you notice that? None of the women from Jesus' ministry, they stayed faithful. They stayed obedient. They were praying while these guys were catching nothing and probably using poor language at the same time. You need to hear nothing about the women. The tomb, you hear about the women. Meeting Jesus, you need to hear about the women. At the cross, you hear about the women. When they're being disobedient, yeah, the men are fishing. But Jesus, instead of showing up on the battlefield with a sword, maybe Peter's sword that he cut off Malchus' ear with, no, he shows up to the shore and he's, he's cooking some fish and he's, he's asking them to, Do they love his sheep? This is so counterintuitive, Jesus. Why are you showing up in places I don't expect you to show up? Doesn't make sense to me. Or maybe, and here's my favorite of them all. Maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus shows up to a dinner party. Anybody like a good dinner party? Anybody like being invited to a dinner party that you don't have to clean up? You can just leave. Oh, look at the time. Look at the time. Gotta go. Gotta feed the dog. You know, these things we say. I would love for him to show up at a dinner party because you do know that after the power of God that raised you from the dead, they had to all get around and make a game plan. You know, Caiaphas and, and Herod and, and Pilate and Sadducees and Pharisees. They had a little dinner party. Okay, what did you say? What did you say? What did you say? What did you say? Okay, so we're going to stick with this, that we've, we've, we, his body has been moved and we paid everybody to, to keep this together. This little dinner party, party this, this powwow, what if Jesus would have just, because you know he could appear and reappear in places. We just appeared at the table. Like, so, so what are you guys thinking? So what do you guys want to do with this? Who, who are we paying? What's going on? What, what's the story? But instead, instead of showing up at a dinner party, you know where he appears? He appears on a dusty Middle Eastern road to a church volunteer named Stephen being stoned. It doesn't appear to everybody, just to him in this encounter. Is anybody confused right now? I feel like we should have more understanding as we get to the end of the series. He's not where we think he should be, but he's in places that we don't think he should be. There's something he's teaching us here. There's something he's revealing to you and I here in these revelations, in these places where he's present, in these encounters he's having in the Bible. Have you been surprised? Let me make this personal. In the areas Jesus has shown up in your life, in the areas, let me get candid for a moment, he hasn't yet showed up in your life. Have you been surprised in the areas Jesus has showed up in your life? And have you been surprised in the areas he's not yet showed up in your life? Someone say amen. Have there been moments and seasons where you assumed he would have abandoned you because you deserve the situation you were in? Anybody been there? And if you want to be honest, which is hard on a Sunday, but if you want to be honest, you don't have to go back that far. Moments where he shouldn't have abandoned you because the old folks used to say it like this. If you made your bed, you have to do what? Got to lie in it. There have been moments and seasons where you and I created issues and problems and, 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 and you were, no way God would be here. And when you lifted your head, everybody was gone, but he was there. He was there to not just dry your tears, but count your tears. 
David, the psalmist, he said like this in Psalms 139.8. You're going to understand this now. He says this. He says, if I make my bed in hell, behold you what? He said, you shouldn't have been there. And if you read David's story, he, he made his bed in hell a couple times. He said, you shouldn't have been there. You should have been when I was leading the people well. You should have been when I was doing everything you called me to do. You should have been there when I was in the fields and with Goliath. Like all those things made sense. But when I got myself into issues and into problems, you shouldn't have been there. And he said, but you're where I didn't expect you to be. But then conversely, and here's where I need you to get real with me for this moment. Have there been moments where he didn't show up? He did not show up. And you were surprised by this. Because based on your scenario and your situation, based on the member of your family being sick, this made sense for Jesus to show up. This made sense based on the prognosis that you were given and based on the Bible saying, by his stripes, they were supposed to be healed and they weren't. Were you surprised he didn't show up? Were you surprised at a financial hardship that he because you were tithing, you were doing what he called you to do, and yet and still, it still made its way to your doorstep, not your ungodly, cranky neighbor's doorstep. They just bought a new car. Were, were you surprised that he should be here, and he's not? Were you surprised by the relational dysfunction? Because Lord knows you were here, and he was still at home watching golf, but you were here praying. Someone said Amen. And making every excuse not to come to church, but you were here serving and giving and loving, and he has not yet revealed himself. Are you surprised? You know, after the great message preached on Pentecost Sunday by one of the elders of our church, Joe, now you know after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's always with us, but he's not going to always change circumstance and change situations. Amen? Always with us. The Bible declares he'll never leave us, never forsake us but he's not always going to turn situations around when you and I want him to. He's not always going to intercede and change things as we think it should. It would seem there are moments and seasons, not just in the past, but right now in your life and in my life, Jesus, you should be here. Based on my calculations and my understanding of Torah, Pentateuch, Old Testament, New Testament, Talmud, based on what I'm reading and what I'm seeing, Lord, about any moment here, you, you should be arriving, and yet and still he's not here. Does anybody want to grow in their faith? Does anybody want to grow in their faith? Does anybody want to grow in their faith? Okay, for all 20 of us, we're growing in our faith today, all right? The rest of the pagans will just let them do what they want to do. We're going to grow in our faith. We're going to see he arrives at certain times and seasons, and he doesn't intercede in situations and circumstances in different times. Why? Because he's got a purpose and a plan, you'll find out. So as we end the, near the end of this series, I believe, you'll notice the places Jesus shows up and the places he chooses. Someone say he chooses. Chooses not to show up. He's a providential God. You know that. He misses nothing, not one detail. The Bible says he knows the number of hairs or lack of hairs on our head. <laughs> he doesn't miss one thing. We can't always be sure when and where he will show up, but we can be sure he's going to intercede in his timing. Amen? Amen? So we must trust him in all things. We must trust him in all seasons. 
We have to start hanging on a scripture. Like anybody ever gone, what's that called when you get on, they just strap you to like this rope and you just zip, zip lining. You just zip across. You got to trust Mr. Zipline knows what he's doing. You got to trust these wires are going to do what they're supposed to be doing. Some of us trust wires more than Jesus. I'm just going to put that out there. But just the way you trust Mr. and Mrs. Zipliner and the kid with the summer vacation job that's strapping you in and your whole livelihood is based on a kid who, who may or may not have flunked out of college and has a summer job because of that. Um, you're going to have to trust in the scripture in that same way. Romans 8.28 is our zipline. You have to trust in it with all you got. And it says what? All things. Someone say it. All things. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his what? Oh, that's that dirty word purpose right there. That everything in your life, everything in my life, everything going on right now, there's a what? There's a what? Over here, this crowd over here, there's a what? Oh, man. You just need to walk around your job looking like you got Tourette's. Purpose, 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 purpose. And that's not offensive. If that, if that, if that's my wife. Is that offensive, Courtney? She said, yes, mildly. I apologize. Acting like you just, you're thinking of something and said out loud. Purpose, 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 purpose. Watch this. Because if there is, forgive me. I'm, I'm seriously, genuinely, if that was wrong, forgive me. Um, some things land better in private circles than public ones, but am I getting red? Am I getting flushed right now? Um, my wife has turned her back on me. Courtney, why have you forsaken me? Okay, moving on. Um, Purpose. Purpose is going to lead and guide us in everything because if you're going to see in these timelines, Jesus is not there when we think he should be, and he's there when we think he shouldn't be, there's a purpose he has lined up. There's something he's doing. There's something he's saying. There's something he's revealing. There's something that you and I can't what? See. And that's why as you and I read the scripture, it says have faith in what you what? Can't see instead of what you what? can see. Because I walk around all day long like this, God, I don't see you doing anything. I don't see you doing anything. And what God's telling me is just do this and just walk by what? Faith and not by what? You guys have been reading your Bible. Been reading your Bible. This is what he's calling us to do. And so now, maybe you remember two weeks ago when I preached this message, we have another situation where it seems like on the surface, Jesus should have had better timing. Someone say better timing. I need everyone right now who thinks Jesus should have better timing, raise your hand right now. I got some things that you should have better timing with Jesus. You should have already pulled through, come through, and made a way. I need a better timing Jesus. It's not offensive. You can just give him your heart. I'm teaching you how to pray right now. Just give him your heart. I need a better timing Jesus. We left off with this scripture, Acts chapter 7 and verse 58. If you weren't here, we had a volunteer, a deacon from the church, found out the widows, the Hellenist widows were not getting fed. He's just wanting to help. He just puts himself out there, wants to be used by God, and he's used by God, and it ruffles people's feathers because whenever you're getting used by God, the enemy doesn't like it, and you're a target on your back. You're taking ground from the enemy, so he's going to try to take ground from you. So there's this back and forth, and through a series of events, he gets before the Sanhedrin, same guys who, 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 who voted to, to crucify Jesus, and, and he preaches, and he teaches, and he's passionate. And, and here's what it says in, in verse seven, chapter 7, verse 58, and it says, and they cast him out of the city and did what? I thought he was supposed to get an upgrade in his job. 
I, I, just, I, just, I just swore this was because I'm blessing in his, in his relationships. I, I, just, I knew in my Western mindset there was supposed to be something upgraded, something blessed, a higher net worth. I knew being used by God in Jesus' timing that it should have turned out differently. But what happened? You can say it. It's okay. It won't bite you. He was what? He was stoned. Hold on. I, I need a better timing, Jesus. Jesus, where were you when he standing before the Sanhedrin and... You could stir the hearts of kings. Anybody know that scripture? He stirs the hearts of kings. You could have stirred the heart of Sanhedrin and said, you know what? This guy's young. He's not an apostle. He's not, a, he's not an original disciple of Jesus. What, what, what can he harm? He's passing food out of tables. Let's let him go. Jesus didn't decide to show up there. When they were dragging him out to the city, probably by his hair, by his neck, by his feet, Jesus, good time to show up. Great time to show up. As the first four, five, six, seven stones are knocking him unconscious, he's in and out of consciousness. Hey, Jesus, uh, I don't know what you're seeing, uh, but based on my observations, this is not ending well. This is not, this is, this is not going well. Jesus doesn't show up. We're told with the last couple of stones, with the last bit of consciousness he has, we're told he utters these words, and I see Son of man, not sitting, but what? Standing at the right hand of the Father. What poor timing, Jesus. This is not what I think you are in the West. I think you are a God who doesn't allow suffering and pain. This is, this is not the one that I grew up learning about in VBS. This is the one who doesn't allow this. And yet, and still, he's getting hit in the face with stones. Does I see him, though. In my struggle, in my pain, in my hardship, I see him though. And he's not sitting, he's standing. And he finishes with these words before his life comes to an end in this life. He says, Lord, lay not this sin at their feet. And so I need you to, to mature with me. That he didn't show up where if it would seem prudent for Jesus to show up, he shows up in the worst ways. And when it's too, can I say this, when it's too late? When it's too late? Because see, in our mindsets, we think it's too late. We think it's too far gone. We think he can't restore and all, make all things new. But I'm so grateful Isaiah 50, 55, 9 reminds you and I that when you think it's too late, when you think there's no more of a chance, when you think it's too far gone, when you think it can't be resurrected or restored, it says this, my ways are what? higher than your ways. And my thoughts are what? Not your thoughts. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And so now we look at this scripture and we read the other half of chapter 7, verse 58, and watch what happens. And the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named who? Why are they mentioning that name? There were several men out there, several men throwing stones, several men who voted and, cond- and condoned this. Why are we mentioning the name Saul? We're in Hebrew, Shaul. Why are we mentioning him? Because of that sneaky word, purpose. Purpose. Because that sneaky scripture in Isaiah, his ways are not like our ways, and his thoughts are not like our thoughts. Because that sneaky verse, we have a name Saul. Saul could have been part of the Sanhedrin. He's, he's there. He's amongst them. He's, he's holding their clothes or their cloaks at his feet. 
This we know for Saul, at least something in his mind, in his heart. Because see, in the Roman occupied area of Jerusalem, we all know this, the Romans were vicious. This wasn't the only stoning Saul saw, or Saul saw, that Saul witnessed. Saw many of them, hundreds, maybe thousands in stonings and crucifixions. This should not have left a mark in his mind or in his heart. But you know what he saw for the first time as he saw Stephen killed? He saw a willing death, a death that didn't end in hate. Stop throwing those things, not dodging stones. He saw a death that ended in love and forgiveness. The one being stoned had empathy for the one throwing stones. That'll preach in our country, won't it? He had empathy for the one throwing stones. There's something different about this stoning of what we would know now as a first martyr. Someone named Saul's there. You see, God was getting to a greater purpose. And the day Stephen asked for his purpose to align with God's purpose, do you remember that day that you prayed that? God, use me. God, fill me. The day that he signed up to be a table waiter, to be a deacon, a volunteer of the church, is the day God started to put these plans into place. And it doesn't look real glamorous now. We'll keep reading. It doesn't look real glamorous now. So hold on. So he's serving this church, and he volunteered, and he's stoned to death. Hey, we are definitely not serving, honey, the next serving expo. Not looking for that kind of smoke. No, thank you. Got enough issues on my hands. Doesn't seem too glamorous right now. I get it. I agree with you. But God's going to do something. Someone say this. God is going to do something. One more time. God is going to do something. Because you and I, we have to stop reading this book and coming on Sundays and looking at it like the historical perspective and just believing that what God is doing there, God is doing here. And believing that what God is doing there, he's doing in my home. Believe what God is doing there, he's doing in my career. Believe what God is doing there, he is trying to get in here. Amen? Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says this. Now who? Where did you first see Saul's name? Where? The stoning of Stephen, right? Now Saul was consenting to whose death? So this, the language speaks of that he potentially voted. He was potentially part of Sanhedrin. He was part of this death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all what? Scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. What did Jesus say in the Great Commission to take this gospel where? All the world. So Saul, the Sanhedrin, Pilate, the crucifixion, did they stamp out Christianity? Spread like wildfire. Spread like wildfire now. Look where it's at. It's going to the uttermost parts of the world. It's on the way. It goes from Judea and Samaria. It tells us, and then verse 2 says this, And devout men carry Stephen to his burial and make great lamentation over him. And as for Saul, here's our guy, he made what? Havoc of the church. And watch this. Not entering the church, but watch this. Entering every what? Entering every what? Entering every what? House and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. This, I'm just going to stop right now and ask us to just sit on this. Selah, pause, ponder. Why is he going to every house and pulling people out? Because apparently they've made a table in their home. Because apparently there's enough evidence to convict them of living for Jesus. Can I bring this to 2023 real quick? Can I bring this to June 25th, 2023? If our country was under persecution today, 
With Christianity, we like throwing that around in Christian circles, don't we? One day this could happen. One day this could happen. Okay. Let's say today's that day. Would there be enough evidence in your home to be guilty? To be a disciple of Jesus Christ? They didn't go to the workplace. They went to the home. They went to where the table was set up. There was apparently enough evidences in, in their marriages, in their children, in the way they didn't say, we don't do this as Christians. We stand against this, but no, we live for a biblical worldview. Do you hear the difference in that? Not, I hate you and I hate what you do. No, we just live for a biblical worldview. No, I, I can't condone that in my house. I can't condone that in my school. I can't condone that in my community. Not because I hate you. You're not the enemy. No, you're not. Actually, I love you. I'm for you. I just can't condone something that's not a biblical worldview, not in my marriage, not in my children, not in my community. Do you hear the difference in those two? A lot of people just bully pulpit and what we hate. No, we love the world. We are sent to the world. We just can't condone nothing that's not a biblical worldview. And so these families, we are told, you know what they're found guilty of? Forgiving, loving their neighbor as himself. They're found guilty of being patient and kind and long-suffering. Their neighbor wrongs them. You know what they do? Don't worry about it. Their neighbor has a need, and they say, you know what? How much do you need? I'll Venmo it to you right now. And, and, and they're ripped out of their homes because the testimony of their life. I ask you today in your marriage, would you be found guilty today? If we were under this kind of oppression, would, would they have to rip you out of your home? Would they have to rip your children out of their home? Because at school, they could tell, okay, these kids live for a different standard. Would they just take the parents, not the kids? Or would they come to your home and just take your wife because the rest of y'all are heathens? <laughs> nope. None of them are living for God. Her, all day. Every day. I even see some anointing on the doorposts. She messed around and put a mezuzah on the front door. Like, she's the real deal. It's a serious question to ask. I'm less concerned with one day, would it be like this with Christianity? You know, will, will, it, will it be an issue, a problem for us? Will there be some kind of harassment? I'm more concerned with, would I be found guilty? I'm more concerned with, would my marriage be found guilty? They are disciples of Jesus Christ. I'm more concerned my girls are walking the hallways and I'm not around them and I'm not with them or they're in restaurants or they're on social media. I'm more concerned if someone was following them, yeah, they're guilty. Let's go into their home and let's get rid of them because they're problematic. Someone say amen right now. We need to shift our thinking. Is there enough evidence in our life that we would be one of these to watch this, have the privilege of suffering for the kingdom of God? So now, case in point, we've got Saul to deal with. And, and Saul, unfortunately, he's not your average Pharisee, okay? He's, uh, he's the Pharisee that um, would be considered your Navy SEAL Pharisee. He'd be your Orthodox Jew. He would be the one that's over the top in everything. You couldn't find a fault in him. Uh, he, me- he didn't just read the scripture, had it memorized. He was zealous for the law. Let, let me just show you what he says about himself here. And I've got to be quick here. Uh, Philippians chapter three, verse five. This is what he says about himself. He says, circumcised on the eighth day. Someone says, well, that's a little personal. <laughs> like <laughs> TMI, my friend. This was his brisk, relaxed. This is brisk. Like eighth day, it's got to happen if you're Jew, okay? And a male. Um, eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of who? Oh, he knew what tribe he was from. He didn't play any games. Tribe of Benjamin, don't mess with me. 
right? A Hebrew of what? Hebrews. In regards to the law of what? Pharisee, the highest, most orthodox level. As for zeal, persecuting the church as righteousness based on the law, what? Faultless. Pretty much he's saying, come at me. Like keeping God's law, being zealous for the law, not sinning. The Pharisees, watch this, they had laws for the laws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've read Leviticus before. Laws for the laws to protect them from sinning. And so like you and I, in our spare time, we go to the gym, we play pickleball our spare time, right? Garden, golf, shop. In his spare time, you know what he did? He killed followers of Jesus over the top. Like, man, relax. Who hurt you, Paul? Who hurt you, Saul? I mean, who hurt you, Saul? This is what he did. This is what he was consumed by. He was an over-the-top kind of person. Anybody know the over-the-top kind of people? Like, their rest and relaxation would, like, hurt your back, like you'd have to, you'd have to like rest for three days with what they do to relax. And in some ways, I've got to be honest and transparent here. I'm kind of the over the top kind of guy. I don't like dip my toe in stuff. I'd rather jump in the deep end and figure it out there. Um, and I'm reminded of this one time. Uh, friends of mine invited uh, Cordy and I to New York, so we just went to the city for a couple of days and you know did the thing, walk around restaurants and things like that. And we were literally, not figuratively, literally walking through Grand. Central Station. You guys know that place is, right? Walking to Grand Central Station, and our two ladies are walking in front of us. We're walking behind, and um, him and I are talking. We're like, you know what? And we had a moment of conviction. We're like, you know what? We don't always love our wives the way we used to. Do you, man, do you remember when you were dating? Like all the things you would plan and do? Do you remember how public your affection was for them? And now it's just private for a certain situation. Can I get all the married men to say amen? It's okay. You can say amen. You're married. You're married. Just, 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 just throw your rings in the air. Like, we, we were so affectionate publicly, weren't we? There was, there were our lives, there were everything. And so we were talking, and I was just super convicted. I'm like, you know what, Brad? You're right. I, like, I'm not what I used to be. I don't show the same affection. And so in the middle of Grand Central Station, here's what it looked like. I want you guys this image of what happened here while we were there. This is what I did. From behind... Wrapped her around, dipped my love, and professed my love, and I kissed her. Really, that picture up there for a minute. I kissed her with the, all I had in me. Now, if you look at her face, I don't know if happiness is the first thing that comes to mind. It's open to interpretation, but maybe accosted, uh, maybe who's going to call 911, or am I being mugged in New York? Like, there's a couple things going through her mind right here, but my, my friend captures on picture, and I didn't know that he was going to do this, and he's like, you went in. He's like, you went all the way. I was like, I, I went all the way. This is true. <laughs> For good or bad, I went all the way. But I gave you this image, so now you know Saul, who we're talking about. This is the no-nonsense, all the way, spinning his wife around, dipping her, and just landed on her in Grand Central Station. <laughs> this is her being afraid and concerned with her safety. <laughs> this is who you and I are about to read about, the over-the-top Saul. But you know what I found out about God in my 40 years? I like saying that since I turned 40. In my 40 years, here's what I found about God. God uses our propensities and proclivities. God uses everything about us. If you believe the Bible to be true, he says before we were born in the womb of our mother, he uniquely wired us in giftings and, 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 and things we do well and things we don't do so well. Everything he put on the inside of us. And so 
the over-the-top Saul that God made that way, God's going to reach him and watch this an over-the-top way. Turn with me now to Acts chapter 9. In verse 1, it says this. Here's our guide. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. If you read this in the original Greek, it is so fascinating. It was like it was his life's blood to breathe in and to breathe out murderous threats to the followers of Jesus. It was insatiable because we know he wasn't a dip the toe kind of guy. He was all in. He's breathing in and out threats. And watch what he does. He goes to the high priest and he asks for letters from the synagogues of Damascus. It's not good enough to take care of the ones in Jerusalem. Where is he going out to? Damascus. So if he found any who were of the way, this is what Christians were first called because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They're followers of the way. Whether men or women, he didn't care, didn't discriminate. He might bring them bound to Jerusalem and hopefully have them executed like he did with Stephen. Can I just stop for a moment and, and, and interject something? Did you know we can be sincerely wrong? I just want to stop and just, just a public service announcement. Zealous for the law, knew the scripture, lived for God, educated in the best halls of, of the biblical Hebrew academia. Gamaliel taught him, and he was sincerely wrong. You know, I think oftentimes, and specifically those of us who live for God a long time, we are so hard-headed, we are so pious, we are so holier than thou, that sometimes we have to understand this, we can be sincerely wrong. I'm talking to spouse and marriages right now. Would you potentially believe that right now there may be something that you need to repent for in your marriage to your spouse? That you've been sincere and you thought this is what God wanted you to do and you thought this was the right way to to, to be a spouse, a partner, a, a parent, whatever that may be, a provider. And there may be moments that you're gonna find you are not sincerely right. You're sincerely wrong. He was doing everything. He had a zeal. He just believed this is what God called him to do. And there are moments where we have to step back and say, God, are there blind spots in my life? God, are there areas where I'm sincere, just sincerely wrong? See, he accepted God. He just was sincerely missing who? Messiah Jesus. And for anybody who has the privilege and opportunity to speak with a Jew or meet a Jew or somebody who who follows or or professes Judaism, let me help you. You don't need to convert a Jew. Did you know we have the same God? Yahweh. Same exact God. We track all together from Genesis to Malachi. It's our privilege and pleasure to introduce them to who? Messiah Jesus. And a lot of Jews I spend time with, like, always trying to convert us, always trying to convert us. That's where we're missing it. There's no conversion needed. There's an introduction. And so he is sincerely wrong here and doesn't even know. In my quiet time, I ask the Lord, show me where I'm sincerely wrong. Like, I'm sincere about it. I'm genuine. I'm authentic about it. But if I'm wrong, like David said, Lord, search my heart. If there's anything in me that's far from you that offends you, would you cut it away? Because, Lord, you have authority to do it. I don't want to live my life, and I don't want people talking in my funeral saying, well, he was good in these ways, but, man, he missed the mark here because he's so hard-headed with his way or the highway. Can I get an amen from my men? We're historically the hard-headed ones. Verse 3, 
As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Why? Christians are hiding out here, but still spreading the gospel. And suddenly, a light shone around him from where? You've not seen this light. This is not like, oh, I tried to look in the sun for like three seconds when you were a kid. Remember that game? Right? You couldn't see for like two minutes. This is not a, the sun. This was a light from where? Heaven. You and I have not seen this light before. It says, then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I have never seen a light that's knocked me on my back. Have you? He is knocked to his back and he hears a voice and the voice says, why are you persecuting you? Why are you persecuting Stephen? Nope. Why are you persecuting my believers in Jerusalem? Nope. Why are you coming here to Damascus to persecute the men and the women and rip families from, from their homes? Nope. Why are you persecuting? See, whenever somebody persecutes you or comes against you, they don't come against you. The battle's not against flesh and blood. They come against Jesus, your father. There should be something warm in that thought right there. Why are you persecuting me? Why are you coming against me? Now, here's where Saul has a moment of transparency, where he is genuinely wrong. He doesn't believe in Messiah. He doesn't believe Messiah has come. He's still waiting on the revelation of Isaiah, of Jeremiah, of Daniel. He's still waiting. He's still waiting. And he has come face to face. This is an encounter. This is a visitation from Jesus. He says, why are you persecuting me? And the one who was so bold, we read it, right? As a zeal in the faith, a Pharisee of the Pharisee, circumcised on the eighth day. I'm your guy. I've got the law. I've memorized it. This is all he could say. The one who persecuted others, the one who put others, including Stephen, on their back is now on his back. Fortunes have changed. The only thing he can get out of his mouth, Mr. Bold, courageous, zealous, is this in verse 5. Who are you, Lord? See that language, Lord? Who are you, Lord? He recognizes he's missed something. He's recognized he's been zealous the wrong thing in the wrong way. He's, he's missed something here. Who are you, Lord? But I've... I've been going this way in my home. I've been going this way in my career. I've been going this way raising my kids. I've been going this way in my finances. I've been going this way talking about people. I've been going this way doing fill in the blank in my life and in your life. And there could be moments where he knocks us on our back and we have to say, who are you, Lord? I didn't know you to allow this kind of suffering. I didn't know you to allow these kind of hardships. I didn't know you to, and we have to say, who are you? What are you doing? His whole life, you got to understand, he was raised this way. He had a certain worldview from being raised. He had a certain idea of people and life and the world. He had a certain biblical worldview that was about to be upended. Are you aware that this could be our story today? This could be our story this week or this month that God has something completely paradigm shifting for our lives. But unless we are willing to Say, Lord, who are you? Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want to reveal? We could miss it. He could have walked away and said, I don't know what this is, but it's not for me. But he says, Lord, who are you? Scripture goes on to say this. The Lord said, I am who? This is problematic. 
it would have, he would have said, I am Yeshua HaMashiach. He said, I'm Messiah. I'm, I'm Messiah. His mind would have raced through all the stories he heard about the Sanhedrin, all the stories about the crucifixion. All the, he, his mind would have ran to who? Stephen and the stoning. All the houses he went into. His mind would have been running right now. Oh, no. And this is what we have to save our neighbors and our friends, our family from one day standing before Jesus saying, oh, no. Oh, no. You're the one those folks in Legacy Church kept trying to invite me to their services for? Oh, no. You're the one who stories on social media I kept unfollowing people because of? Oh, no. You're the one that my neighbor kept trying to take us to dinner and kept trying to do nice things for us? Oh, no. You're, you're the one at the workplace when, I, when the, those little small groups are forming and, and they're babbling with their eyes closed and heads bowed. Oh, no. This is why I have to take advantage of them very, very seriously. It's more just inviting somebody to church. Oh, no. He said, I am Jesus, whom you're what? Persecuting. Not Stephen. Not the men and women you're pulling out of homes. Persecuting me. And watch what Jesus does. He uses a term from the agrarian culture. He says, it's hard for you to kick against the what? The goats. Now, if you have a King James or New King James, that'll be in your Bible. If you have another version, it won't be there. It's hard for you to kick against what? The goats. Now, for a farmer who had oxen who were tilling the ground, the oxen would, would, would pull, he'd pull behind and they till the ground. And when the oxen just want to stop, like, I don't feel like doing this anymore, the farmer would have this long stick one side would be dull. The other side, he just he would sharpen it. And he'd give the oxen a good one of these, a good poke in the back. But every now and then, you know what the oxen would do? Kick back. Kick back. Not want to move. And every time the oxen would kick back, you know what to do? Inflict harm on itself. And gashes. And wounds. And more wounds. And more blood. And all Saul was doing was inflicting more wounds. And more gashes. The more he pushed back, because actually, Stephen was sent to him. And the rest of these followers of the way, they were sent to him. They're planting seeds in his life and seeds in his heart. And he kept kicking back and pushing back. And so he could push back no longer. And he was on his own back. And so verse 6 says, and so he, trembling, and watch this, astonished. You mean I've been living a certain way my whole life? I've been thinking God condones this, God allows this, God allows this compromise. He allows this gray area. I can treat this kind of people this way. I can do all these kind of things and still be saved on Sunday and still repent. He's got an issue with this? Astonished. Look what he says once again with humility and repentance. It's dripping in humility and repentance. No more pride. No more ego. Lord, what do you want me to do? No parameters. What do you want me to do? The Lord said to him, arise. And go in the city, and you will be told what you must do. So you're telling me God has answered him right in the minute? <laughs> like we pray something, God just answers right now? No, it's not real life. Verse 7, and the men journeyed with him, stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground. When his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight and either ate or drank. The Pharisees were known for praying and fasting, but not blinded and not believing Messiah was, was Jesus and that he had come and died and, and God resurrected him from the dead. They, they had not believed that. And so now 
what's happening here is his whole life is changed. And I'll run through this here as we close and you can come. But as we close here, it says this in verse 10. There's a certain disciple named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said to a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. So he said, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. In a vision, he sees a man named Ananias coming and putting a hand on him so he might receive his sight. And Ananias said, watch this in verse 13. I have heard many things about this man and how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And I said, Jesus, do you know, or do you know who you're, you're talking about here? This would have been the biggest terrorist of their time. So think of the people who orchestrated Pearl Harbor, the people who orchestrated 9-11. This is who he wants him to go to. He's like, yeah, I don't know about that one. He says he's done harm to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said, Go, he is a chosen, what? Vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Verse 18, after Inas lays his hand on him, immediately, there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once. There's something beautiful about what God is doing in his life and in his heart and what we see it all starts from understanding there's more to come. See, he was advanced in his life, advanced in his career, advanced in his relationships, advanced in his relationship with God. But according to Jesus, it's never too late to do something fresh, do something new. According to Jesus, he's going to show up in places you don't think he should be. And we have to be ready for those moments. And also not be in places you thought he should be. And this is a depiction of the providential hand of God. So for the one who went all out for the, for the world and all out for himself and followed his own agenda and own initiative, his name is eventually turned, anybody know? to Paul. Saul is his Hebrew given name, given by God. It's what it means, Shaul. But he goes to Paulus or Paul because he can appeal more to the Gentiles that way. And so he turns his life over to God. And here's the last scripture I want to read you about him. This is after he, he commits himself to God. He's, he's preaching, he's teaching. It's, it's foreign now because people are like, you used to kill us and now you want to preach and teach with us? It says this about his life, 2 Corinthians 11. It says, five times I received from the Jews, what? 40 lashings minus one. Jesus, that happened to him once. But now how many times to Paul? Five. Three times I was beaten with, beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles. In danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Wow. God had so much in store for him, but it came in the midst and through suffering. 
because you might not know and you might not give credit and honor. But when you read through through this scripture and you get to your New Testament portion, two thirds of that Bible are written by Saul, who becomes known as Paul. The one trying to stamp out the New Testament as it was being written now writes it. There's something in that for you and me. There's something in that that says it's never too late, that God's always working. He's always moving. He's always doing something fresh and new. I will even go as far as to say it's if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. God is working. God is moving. And he wants to change our paradigm. He wants to show us and reveal something so fresh and so new. Today, maybe it doesn't need for you and I to be knocked on our back. Maybe we just say, Lord, reveal yourself to me. Lord, show me something fresh and show me something new. Lord, today, as we close out this time together, Lord, knock us on our back willingly. Lord, we say, Lord, right now, reveal to us blind spots, reveal to us areas that are not like you. Reveal to us what you like to see differently, Father, that we might know you, that we might love you, that we might, like Saul who becomes Paul, take a different journey than what we thought you wanted but find ourselves so faithful and so obedient no matter the cost, no matter the price. Be faithful and obedient to you, I pray. Lord, and as we do this, I pray this week you speak to our hearts, speak to our homes, speak to our workplaces, Father, that you could reveal what you would like, Lord, and renew our hearts and our minds and our souls and show us something fresh and new. And lastly, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, If you are far from Jesus in this place today, I always want to give you the opportunity to repent. I always want to give you the opportunity to ask Jesus into your life for the first time or to welcome him back to be the Lord of your life. And so if that's you in the building or online, our church, we're going to pray with you and ask that you'd welcome God into your life for the first time or repent and come back. So Lord God, we honor you. We repent of our sins. We believe in Jesus. Holy Spirit, Give us a hunger for your word and for discipleship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Put your hands together for the goodness of our God and of our King. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, please check out our website at LegacyChurchAI.org or follow us on social media at LegacyChurchAI. We'll see you next time.